0: inside to outside repairs to renovations get started on the angie app or visit angie.com today
1: you can do this when you angie that
0: gen c is the generation of the new internet in gen c the c stands for crypto but it also stands for creators the connected consumer and collectibles both digital and physical with on-chain provenance It stands for culture and characters, the ones we play in games and the companion ones that AI is building alongside us. It stands for community and digital citizenship and the new set of transparent and trustless tools being built to govern them. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy and how they look at the hybrid digital and physical spaces being built all around us. And finally, how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how brands, large and small, are building for these audiences. Welcome to Gen C. All right, welcome everybody. Episode 60, first Gen C, recorded in the new year. And Avery is traveling on vacation, well-deserved. So in a special appearance, we have Wen Trong, Wen is our producer. She has been with Gen C since day one. She works at Coindesk. She and I worked together at the New York Times for many years, and she reluctantly agreed to play co-host on this episode. So Wen, thank you for joining.
1: Thanks, Sam. <laughs> 2024 is all about making dreams come true. I know this has been a longstanding dream of yours for me to – Bless the pod.
0: This is a wishmaking moment. So thank you for doing that with us. When you have spent 60 episodes with us, Avery and myself and all of our guests, what is your opinion on this crazy world of crypto that I dragged you over from a very (laughs) traditional media company to be a part of? Are you personally a skeptic? Are you bullish? What's your opinion on kind of the larger ecosystem of crypto and Web3 in general?
1: Love this question. You know, I am bullish, but I am also a skeptic. I think, like you said, I entered this space literally knowing nothing. You were the person who helped me open my first wallet, gave me my first NFT. But I think, you know, over time, I've become more and more bullish. I think the conversations that happen on this podcast, and hopefully the listeners can agree and attest to this, that there's just a lot of Excitement and innovation and energy to come. I think we've only, you know, broken the surface of Web3 and innovation and blockchain technology. So I'm excited to be on this ride for sure. But you can only imagine the conversation that I had with parents and friends saying, okay, I'm leaving the Times after six years and I'm going to work for CoinDesk. Them obviously not knowing that. And people being like, she's leaving for a blockchain company. That was kind of like the branding of the messaging when I was leaving. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, oh geez. Because crypto and blockchain, we got a branding problem. We all know this.
0: Still do. That's what this podcast <laughs> is about. <laughs> and my final question before we get into some the stories and i want to get your opinions on is I've heard now from three different people that they have a word, a mantra that they try to adopt for each new year. Now, when I think of Mm. you, of course, the first one that comes to mind is chaos. But (laughs) I'm wondering, do you have a mantra that you are looking at 2024 with? And is that boiled down to a single word?
1: I do love that you think of me as an agent of chaos because I very much am. But I think my words would be growth, Mm. self-care, Because the reason why Sam thinks I'm so chaotic is because I'm like out in these streets, minimal self care (laughs) happening.
0: Absolutely true.
1: (laughs) Which is false. That's, (laughs) I have a branding issue clearly in that regard. But yeah, I think it's more like taking care of yourself, you know, giving yourself the things that you need to grow, whether that's physically, mentally, spiritually, intellectually. I think there's a lot of like, branches that kind of come off of that. So that would be mine. What is yours?
0: All right. Well, I see you at the pinnacle of all of those things. So I can only imagine you're going up from there. Um, mine, you know, it's funny because I don't do resolutions. I don't do any of that stuff. Because you're perfect. No, I'm far from perfect. But <laughs> I look, I don't want fake milestones to determine right. when I change my life. I want to do it because I want to change my life. I used to work with a guy when I had my first agency who had a tattoo, and he was 21 years old, and the tattoo said, no carbs for life. Um, Because he was really into the Atkins diet back in the day, and that just dating me.
1: Are you still friends with this person? (laughs)
0: I'm definitely not friends with him anymore. But I am actually going to continue to explore my carb-filled life for 2024 at the challenge of my physical health. But I just think that it's just living your best life is the most important way to do it. And of course, moderation. Maybe moderation will be my word moving Mm. forward because sometimes I can be a little excessive. Um, Speaking of excessive win, the company that you and I both worked with, the New York Times, is involved in a pretty significant legal dispute with a company that we talk about a lot on the show, OpenAI. And I thought this would be interesting to talk about. And maybe you have a perspective of the New York Times point of view, you spent six years there, um, and how they address things like this uh, without getting yourself into trouble or violating any NDAs, of course. But, you know, it was interesting because I, I saw this fact, which was that for GPT-3, we're I think on GPT-4 right now, but on, for GPT-3, the single largest proprietary data set that they scraped for that was the New York Times. So clearly, OpenAI looks at the New York Times and says, For general information, this archive is more valuable than any other archive that exists. And I think one can make the case for that, despite people's opinions about the media ecosystem. Right. And then the New York York Times is coming along and saying, hey, this is billions of dollars in damages because you didn't ask for permission to scrape this. And now anyone can get results that is actually based on a giant, giant New York Times data set. And the New York Times is basically saying, nah, get rid of that. Or make a deal with us. And so yeah. from your time, six years at the New York Times, what are, your, what are your opinions of how this is going to work? And is this in line for what you saw as a New York Times employee?
1: I'm not surprised by this. I think what makes the most sense to me, and I'm not, in the, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not in the nitty gritty of what this lawsuit is all about, but licensing deal. They've done it. OpenAI has done it with other companies. Why not the Times? And clearly to your point from that that stat alone, they clearly value the content that the Times is creating. And in the same like ethos of Web3, like pay pay people for their work. It's like, why would they not do that? Is the alternative to then not pay them and then they have to like remove all of the like training data and then we start from where? You know, I guess what's the alternative if they don't do that? In your mind
0: no and that well that's a great point also like we even talked last week that the wide amount of data seems to be getting less and less accurate and OpenAI is putting more and more gates to say don't ask us to write a song in the style of david bowie anymore because we don't have clearance from the david bowie estate right, right? so if you removed their largest source of data from their training model or at least for qbt3 what are you left with like garbage exactly right Um, People
1: subscribing to the New York Times. Right, exactly.
0: (laughs) And I think, you know, uh, I will say, you know, I I enjoyed – I think I was there about three, three and a half years, and I really enjoyed my time there. But I was most impressed with New York Times' commitment to their product quality. And again, despite people's political beliefs that sometimes the quality doesn't uh, adhere to their worldviews, which is totally fine – you know, they were the first to really commit to the paywall, to to make subscription the key benchmark of success versus advertising, the the opportunity to look at cooking and puzzles, and now all of these other ancillary products with the athletic and sports. And I think they are aggressive in how they want to build that brand as the gold standard in news, media, and information. And so it doesn't surprise me that this lawsuit happens. And I personally think that, they're going to win. I don't know if you have yeah, an opinion on that.
1: I agree. I definitely agree. Because to that point, if they remove all of that, what are we left with? So I'm on the same page.
0: All right. Well, we are definitely going to be tracking this. Thank you for your insights. All right. The second thing I thought was interesting, and I wanted to get your opinion on this, because you say you're not a lawyer, but this feels like we're going to dabble in some legal ter- territory now. So put your, your lawyer hat on. So you and I worked with the artist OSF, OV. Um, shout, he, out shout, out, shout out to Ovi a Wonderful human He and his partner Mando run What's called Wrecked Guy Which is a PFP collection um, Anyone who hasn't seen it It sort of looks like a ghost drinking a beer um, And then it sort of shakes and moves And has a lot of glitchiness to it And, and uh, OSF is a great uh, Meme based artist Who really has his own distinct style Over the holiday he said Specifically That they took a snapshot in December that they didn't tell anyone about of who held that NFT. And then moving forward, they are creating a company called Rekt Brands, R-E-K-T, which uh, the, the NFT collection is called Rekt Guy. But Rekt Brands, those holders are going to be given equity in this new company. As I assume a, a, a shout out or a nod to help you, you help bring us where we are. So we are going to give back. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that they specifically said equity. Um, OV comes out of the financial industry, as I believe Mando does as well. And so, you know, I hear equity and I immediately think SEC issues and securities and, uh, and you know, our people are people accredited investors and all of that. Um, but what are your thoughts, I guess, on the idea that these community built brands then will actually be able to share in the ownership of the brands? Do you think that's a model we will see more of going forward?
1: Well, it's interesting because there was another collection who also announced the same thing days prior. I think it's the Plague NFT collection, not not as large as Wrecked, of course. Um, I don't know. I is this exciting? I don't really like what percentage of shares. I think there are so many questions. Like based on the tweet alone, I don't think there's been any other information that's been disclosed. So I think. It's kind of too too early to say, but I think maybe the ethos of this is, yeah, trying to give back to the people who kind of built them and kind of like made them a thing and helped them blow up. So the intent is there, but in practice, not quite sure because there's not enough information out there. My mind didn't initially go to the negative, to be honest. I was like, oh, this is interesting. This could be something. So to your question, I think there is the potential for more collections to kind of announce something. And I think everybody's always trying to to think of ways to like give more values to their holders, right? Obviously that's that's what brings people in aside from like the artwork as well is like what's, what's in it for me essentially. So I don't know. I think it's kind of exciting but I think we just need more information.
0: We definitely need more information. There's something about it. And again, I think I, I agree. I think um, I always champion people doing innovative things that create new opportunities for people. And I think this is so at the heart of, And the ethos of crypto, which Ovi and Mando are very, very committed to.
1: Um,
0: But there is something that slightly reminded me, and I don't know why I thought about this, but it slightly reminded me of like that moment when like Apple dropped everyone an album on their iPhone, whether you liked it or not, Right. It was a big promotion where I think it was Songs of Innocence was the album. And, and like, you just woke up one day and you had a YouTube album on your phone. And people were like, I don't want a YouTube album on my phone <laughs> taking up space. Um, and so it became actually a controversy, which they then had to give an option to remove. Um, and, it, you know, it was sort of, it was seen as a big brand opportunity. Oh, look, biggest band in the world, the biggest brand in the world doing something together. But yeah, it ended up creating some challenge. And so what I immediately went to is like, what are the tax implications? Right. Like, like, am I now going to be, you know, as a shareholder versus just I get to claim something? um, Am I now implicated in needing to report that I made $692 from this partnership, whether I wanted it or not? You know, and so, yeah, I think, I think you, you hit it on the head, which is um, not much detail was given. So it's a little hard, you know, so it's, it's great to say exciting. Let's see what happens, but The nuance of it and you know as avery i think is very cautious in, in telling us yes that brands are very wor- wary of anything that sort of represents the idea of ownership or promise of any payment or even royalties are, can be a bad word for brands because they don't know how to manage it from a tax perspective yeah. finally one of the things that i think has been really interesting is uh there is so much ai art in the world and a lot of it's trash um that i think that there's some not even zero sum high probability opportunity that su- soon in the future things created by the human hand are going to be even more valuable because anyone can generate the basic if you will and i know you're someone who hates basic so um so sony canon and nikon are all in the works of developing digital signatures on photographs so that you can actually verify that this was a camera-created image shot by a person compared to an AI-created image, which I thought was an interesting brand play for them because I do think I wanted to be notified whenever AI touches anything, and that is not the trajectory we've been on. What are your thoughts on whether or not we need validation of AI assistance or not?
1: This very much gives getty watermark to me or like you know those
0: (laughs) right (laughs) shutterstock
1: yes Yes. like cheap watermarks that people like have their signature on so that's already like been a thing what i think about and i'm like great of course we need to know if things are created with ai because it's getting so sophisticated the average consumer just doesn't know what's going on they're not very tech savvy if my mom is looking at this and it's like me AI generated like in the club DJing, for example, she's going to be like, congrats, you did that, you know? And I'm like, mom, this is fake, terrible example, but you got That may be my next but,
0: prompt, by the way, for, <laughs> for mid journey.
1: Yeah. Me presenting right. something while in a club behind me. Anyway, but but I really think, you know, it's great. I would like to see it again in practice. I think like people can say a lot of things but i think until we see it in in an actual use case scenario it could be something totally lame like what we were just talking about mm. what i do think this opens an opportunity in the conversation for is platforms like tagging appropriately ai generated content i think this conversation has been like an ongoing thing like even on tiktok for example it'll show you like when people have filters on and all that stuff but I just don't I haven't seen an example where it feels like really authentic and that people truly understand and can like clearly see when they look at an image okay this has been generated by AI or there's a filter on this content you know so I feel like that should be more of the conversation I get what they're doing I think that's great but it could be a flop
0: I think as always you like got to the key thing here, which is, yeah, don't make it a, you know, Adobe watermark over the image, understand that Instagram could read the metadata and have a little check mark that says made on a Sony camera, right? Or made by human hands whatever that thing is, because I think you're spot on when you look at TikTok and it shows you the filter used, you actually know AI was used because those filters are in essence AI. And so you get to make a decision which is, oh, this person who I follow, who I met on Tinder, whatever it may be, right, is use, utilizing real or fake things in order to make their content. And there's, to me, there's nothing wrong with yeah. anyone who wants to use AI or a filter or whatever to make their content. But I do think that, that the assumption that we are not going to see it and the assumption that we're not going to judge one way or the other based on it um, is a big one. There was a, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Before the holiday, there was a kind of big art scandal in the NFT space where uh, a woman released a painting that that literally like people went forensic on and started like clicking down to the pixel layer to say, oh, actually, this was a prompt that then was used Photoshop to modify. But she was passing it off. That was an oil painting. Right. And to me, it's like the thing that she did wrong was pass it off. That was an oil painting. As opposed right. to say, I, you know, Straight AI up, is part of my yeah. process, right? Yeah. But I also love the idea. You and I know a lot of the well-known artists in, in this space. And I love the idea that also they can say, AI didn't touch this at all. That this is actually mm-hmm. from my brain. And again, how that translates to value, I think could be really interesting. All right, Wen, thank you for stepping in. You are always valuable, but now even more so by lending your voice uh, in Avery's seat. Um, we are going to come back right after the break with Keith Soljicik, who's EVP, Head of Innovation at Publicis Media, um, one of the early agencies that actually bought into blockchain, Web3, innovation as a core strategy for how to build brands. So we will see you in a minute. Thanks, Jensi. Consensus 2024. Global crypto regulation, the disruptive power of AI, the rise of tokenization. Consensus is the one event where experts convene to talk about the ideas shaping our digital future. Join developers, investors, founders, brands, policymakers, and plenty more in Austin, Texas, from May 29th through the 31st. The 10th Annual Consensus is curated by Coindesk to feature the industry's most sought-after speakers and provide unparalleled networking opportunities and unforgettable experiences. Take 15% off registration with the code GENC50. Register now at consensus.coindesk.com, and I'll see you there. All right, we are here with Keith Soljesic, EVP, Head of Innovation at Publicis Media. Uh, Keith, I know this has been a, a bit in the making, excited to have you, especially first guest in the new year. So welcome to GENC.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Keith, I know you are someone who has been deep in the world of innovation, emerging tech, Web3, all that stuff. I know we're going to get into it. Um, my first question really is just, you know, tell us about your role at Publicis Media and what's the journey that got you here?
2: Yeah. Um, so my role as head of innovation at Publicis Media is, is really to shine a light on emerging technology trends and cultural shifts that impact uh, consumer experience. Um It's my job to arm our agencies at Publicis Group and Publicis Media with the tools and the experiences needed to tap into the future, unlock growth for brands that we work with and uh, peek into the future a little bit. So bring tomorrow's tech a little closer today. Um, I'm based in Chicago and in the U.S. here, and I'm 16 years at Publicis. I've been here for nearly all of my career uh, at both Digitas and now Publicis Media um, and a little bit of my background, and in, um, in these 16 years at Publicis was, you know, I evolved kind of with with digital media uh, in my, my role at Digitas, and I ran our digital media production group, and we had started exploring immersive media and immersive content. Um, so, you know, that w- knowing that I had this innovation role uh, sitting there, essentially um, moving into that space, and I brought this intense focus on. XR and AI at the time into uh, what we called experiential technology. And over the course of my time there, we worked with brands like American Express and Whirlpool and most and cores on immersive media uh, and artificial intelligence uh, capabilities and experiences. Um, I first started uh, exploring uh, the crypto space and the blockchain space back in 2015. Uh, me and and the gang at Digidos, you know, tried out Bitcoin mining just to see if we could. Um, the answer was yes. Uh, and it's all on a Raspberry Pi somewhere that's not worth digging up uh, out of a landfill. Uh, but we learned a bit about what blockchain meant and mining and, and cryptocurrency and decentralized uh, applications really at that time. Uh, and then fast forward uh, to 2021, uh, really uh, 2020. Uh, and my best friend in the world uh, started buying CryptoPunks uh, and really said, hey, you've got to be in this space. You you should be a CryptoPunk. I need to bring you in here. It's an awesome community. Um, and so I did. Towards the end of 2020, uh, we joined the CryptoPunks community. Uh, and, you know, right away, just really started to get blessed in this Web3 space. NFTs at the time, <laughs> certainly, uh, and and try to find my own way in how I could contribute into the ecosystem. Um, I joined completely doxed, anonymous. Um, I didn't really reveal that I worked at a, a company like Publicis Group. It wasn't necessarily the ethos at the time of the community. And I really wanted to learn. Uh, I really want to just uh, understand how this whole space worked and moved uh, really before i widened out um, because it was easy to see how this was going to really um, apply to brands. So I joined CryptoPunks and um, started up a podcast myself actually back in the day called NFT Stories. Uh, NFT Stories was the first visual uh, podcast around NFTs uh, because we recognized it's a visual medium and art was proliferating. We really want to showcase artists. So myself, CryptoNovo and Spotty SpottyWiFi, all hosted the NFT Stories podcast. Uh, we had on guests like G Money uh, and actually had created his digital identity, his ape filter that he's so known for. We debuted that on the stream. Uh, went on to join uh, BAYC, Artifact, World of Women, Azuki, uh, and co-founded the Novoverse uh, with with my Degen friends. Um, really, that's, you know, fast forward a bit to November 2021, I'm skipping over a lot. A lot. All good. Um, but that's when I joined uh, this newly formed entity here called uh, PMCI, Publicis Media Content Innovation. And the uh, the goal there was to really adapt to this changing media landscape, right? And elevate content right. because we were already so world-class at content, but pushing innovation into content was going to help us really uh, adapt, right? And so Since I started and we formed the uh, innovation capability at PMCI, we've grown now to include specialty COEs across gaming and branded entertainment and really focused on what's next for brands in this area of substantive change, change, Sam. It is changing every day, every every week. And, And brands like Samsung and Disney and Pizza and Campbell's have tapped into us. To help them, uh, but where we're at now is architecting Puy's web three global capability an offer and and an offering for the agencies that we work with so we can leverage this power of one network and help scale web three adoption for brands
0: there's so much there I want to dig into um, on both sides of innovation as well as the nft side so Keith, for anyone who may not know, can you just break down how your group works across the structure of Publicis, all the different companies, all the different agencies that are involved in the holding company and their clients themselves.
2: Yeah. um, So Publicis Group is a global network of agencies. We're headquartered in Paris, uh, and we really bring together the best of technology and creativity at scale for brands at the macro level. Um, We're in over 100 countries, and we're over 100,000 employees globally. Um, And really, as it breaks down, we have uh, capabilities across four pillars creative technology, data, and media. But we really operate as a power of one network um, where agencies can tap into global and regional SMEs or talent to scale their workforce. So we really can tap into the very best and assemble teams dynamically based on client need, brand need, campaign need, or if we're moving into the innovation space, we can bring you know global SMEs together uh, to support and consult with agencies. Working in this space, and we work with, Brands, large global brands, and then specifically though, our group PMCI, we work across the global agency network as an innovation accelerator. Um, we provide thought leadership in emerging tech, so you know it's our job to keep the pulse of what's going on in this space and and make sure we're um, proliferating that across the agency network. Um, We develop new and innovative agency partnerships. So those new logos uh, that you might not be familiar with uh, today, um, we're developing partnerships in this space and and very specifically in the Web3 space. And then lastly, we craft bleeding-edge digital products. And our goal is to make it easy for brands and our agency partners to leap ahead into all things Web3. What we specialize in, in this Power Above One network, that makes it easy for us to centralize some of our capabilities, but then distribute those out globally. So we don't, not every agency across the entire world has to be specialists in everything. Um, we get to distribute our workforce.
0: So Keith, I wanna talk a little bit about your roots. You said in AI, XR, um, and blockchain, going back to like 2018, I ran a, a, an innovation agency for many years where we're doing a lot of cutting edge stuff with code back when that was novel. You know, now it feels like creative code is sort of part of what powers a lot of these main experiences these days across all of these different channels. And I guess I'm just interested in when you were starting that out, there was not, you know, there weren't as many brands in gaming. There weren't as many brands doing AR and VR. There were not as many brands certainly touching blockchain. What was it about those categories that was exciting to you as a way to encourage brands to sort of take a bit of a risk and spend some time and money in these new technologies?
2: Yeah, I mean, really, I entered this space as a consumer, right? And not necessarily as, as an agency guy. Um, I was experiencing well, all these technologies for myself. And, you know, I'm, I'm tech obsessed. Um, Sam, I'm, I'm sure you understand what that feels like every day, all day, all week, all year. Um, So I spend a disproportionate amount of of my free time on technology as well. So I really do approach it like a consumer. And and really, for me, putting myself into uh, these experiences, going through them and just having these transformative moments were what gave me the confidence to bring these technologies to the brands we work with. And it actually goes back a little bit further to 2016, um, where we really started to move Into this space, our Digitas team in Sweden built built the very first brand experience on an Oculus DK1. Um, It was for the Volvo XC90. It was the first time they ever actually took a CAD model and put it into a a VR experience, right? And the idea was to bring this to auto shows to showcase the vehicle before it hit the floor. What a novel concept. Well, back in 2016, that had never been done before. So I worked with the Sweden team and help bring it to the US, put on the headset myself and said, oh my God, this is completely transformative. Um, It opened my eyes to the future. Uh, And really, you know, since that lightning rod moment, I've been hyper-focused on scaling that capability at Publicis Group, and then really surrounding that with the complementary technologies um, that go along with that. One thing, which is great, which I'm afforded to, is while I have like a, a focus and, and an SME in certain areas, I can tap into other folks in the network who are really experimenting and leading the first explorations into artificial intelligence and synthet- synthetic media. So we were using GANs to create an image uh, before, you know, um, PT and Dolly3. It was, can we do this? Uh, and then we are figuring out we can. Uh, moving into the synthetic media space and creating... Um, synthetic audio for to give brands an authentic voice that they could uh, make adaptable and maneuverable, and really bring that in where they wanted to go. So every time that that technology would evolve, either that we were, we were evolving it or we were aware of change, we were bringing in the lab, experimenting with it, and then finding the right client right brand to bring that to because in the early days you just can't spray and pray with that technology you got to find the brand that meets the, the technology and meets the moment
0: in hearing you talk about it i think one of the questions that i still have and 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 full caveat like i was doing a lot of this creative technology in 2007 2008 2010 and It was done more at that point, I think, for the press release, because you just didn't have the distribution networks that social allows for today, right? Um, But I still think, I think about some of the early AR and VR and those truly immersive worlds that we were building, and it still feels early to me, even though we're sort of 15 years, let's say, into that experiment. So... Where do you think just specifically within those worlds of, of AR and, and VR, you know, is that, are you guys fully bullish, especially with the Apple vision pro coming out and the new Oculus, that that is where the future of experience lies, or is that still going to always be kind of more of a niche technology that some users are going to love and some are going to just sort of pass on?
2: Yeah. I mean, I wish I could predict that exact place on the continuum for you, Sam. I tend to think that, yes, we will um, embrace immersive uh, media, spatial computing at a much, much, much higher rate than we do today. Um, it's just there's, you know, I could go go on for another 30 minutes with you, Sam, on why that technology is still developing, and, and maybe we'll get into a little bit of this, but I, I really boil it down to something very simple. Up until really now. All immersive worlds are essentially a single person's vision or a single group's vision. And then we're inviting you into that that vision, inviting you into that world and saying, play in our world and find yourself within our world. And the turn that I see us making now into the metaverse is not about coming into someone else's world and, and, and in that exact one to many, but bringing your data and bringing your experience and crafting that world around you. And personalizing it to what you want, whether it give you an easy way to build a game like they do in Roblox, or we find ways to create social experiences that enable, you know, that enabled by data. That is way more interesting to me than what than really looking at a single vision. Um and that's where I hope this technology is going that will have immersive personalized experiences.
0: You know, it when you say that, it reminds me. And, and you probably were aware of this as well. There was a, there was a story that went around for years that everyone who visited Bill Gates's house got a little like RFID name tag. And it was so because he owned the Getty collection, it was so that when you walked into any room, all the art would change based on your own preferences. And, you know, and I think about that. And then I also think of, there's an amazing quote from minority report, which I'm sure you've heard your technologies compared to numerous times uh in what you're creating but there's a quote in the movie that says science has replaced most of our miracles um which really sort of stands out for me because of the idea and especially now with the way ai is evolving um that people look at challenge not as fantasy as like oh imagine a day when everything sort of seems to be like what's the code and hardware combination that will solve that or make that a reality um and maybe I guess just sort of back to the question I had is maybe that time horizon is just much longer till it's fully immersed in the worlds that we see on black mirror or in other, you know, media all the time, but it's not as far away as it was 10 years ago when we thought some of this stuff couldn't be done.
2: Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. And and Sam, as you're describing that, it makes me think about at any given time is how far away is the future. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And in this business and what we do, the future is, is at a point in time, in a distance, at, at, at any given time. And I think as we look at these like macro eras, right? The web one, web two, web three, at the beginning of, of each era, actually, the future is very far away because we're starting to learn about what the next paradigm is, right? And so it feels like in your um, reminiscing in your, of, of early days of innovation in the agency space, that the, the future felt close because we could see what it was, but we didn't have access to it and we couldn't scale it and we couldn't proliferate it. And really brands weren't buying to the point where we could build a business around it significantly. And there's there's a few that have built incredible businesses around innovation uh, specifically. Now, though, as we move into web 3 or you know, the third connected age, the future is is right here. It's right in front of us. and we have access to the tools to build what's next now as opposed to like, writing every line of code, right? And that's where we were at, you know, five years ago where it really felt stale, um, like what we could do to break through. And now it feels like there's a massive open world of opportunity for brands to play in.
0: And it sounds like, just again, interpreting and tell me if I'm off base with this, but part of the thing that mo- is most exciting for you is the idea of co-creation within these spaces, that our inputs are as much a creative factor as the brand's inputs or the artist's inputs. That create those worlds around us,
2: absolutely. Um, and again, tapping into my own personal experience, um, you know, when you're when you're creating something, um, and when you have the when you have the agency to to create, it feels more interesting. It feels like you could personalize it to yourself, and it feels more like it's something you'd want to share, right? So, one, you would engage with it more. You'd spend more time because you can actually create in there, and you're not just leaning back. I think that. That is that era is uh, dwindling, the, the lean-back area. So the lean-in area era is very much participatory, very much uh, collaborative. And with um, synthetic media and generative AI, this is all completely unlocking for even the most novice uh, people to create and, and uh, unlock their vision.
0: So maybe let's dive into a couple of specifics. Um, so Keith, you know, through, through all the different experiences you guys have worked on over the last bunch of years across gaming, AI, XR, um, and blockchain, what are some examples of some client projects that you guys have had the opportunity to work with? And, you know, what were the insights and learnings from them?
2: Yeah, we um, <clears throat> have put, a, you know, like I mentioned, a, a pretty intense focus on this space. And, and our first wave was education. Right, we went out and we educated, you know, thousands of brand marketers on what Web three was, how NFTs work, what's a MetaMask wallet, um, how do you get into Roblox? You don't have to ask your kids. Um, all of these things. So we went through, uh, you know, a long period of education. Throughout that period of education, we had brands that came to us and said, you know, we understand this and we see the opportunity right now. So, you know, a few of those examples. Um, You know, number one, and and actually, a funny story on this was, I got briefed on this project one week before I officially started my job, uh, and was very much a focus of of the early run um, in my role in partnering with the agencies uh, like Razorfish and uh, Starcom Media here at Publicis Group. So the first one being Samsung 837X, and that was you know, our first opportunity um, to showcase a, an immersive experience, a virtual world on chain. And the idea there was to bring the brand pillars and the storytelling to life in an immersive way, and then use, use blockchain to gamify the world and essentially prove <laughs> that you uh, learned about Samsung, you engaged with Samsung, and then we rewarded you with some pretty incredible wearables inside of that world. Um, you know that experience in and of itself um, really stands out as an example of how to utilize the the technology but multiple technologies and even for that, we used uh, generative AI to create uh, nfts that you built inside of the world. We used blockchain, we were into central land, uh, and then of course, this immersive space um, that 's like big, broad macro showcasing really like the foundations of how a brand metaverse can work and operate and why you would do that. I've got a soft spot for that, but I've also got this really soft spot for another um, activation we did uh, with Pizza Hut. And we partnered with a real obscure uh, Web3 community called End of the World Pizza. Um, Fantastic artist named Rob Shields, who built a community around his creativity and his comic books and his interactive media, and then dropped uh, NFTs, you know, pr- promoting this entire IP, it fit so. It, end of the world pizza was this creator-led community, and it was so um, it was so vibrant and so had such strong connection to culture. Com- couple that with Pizza Hut and their um, partnership with Complex Land, uh, and we were able to just bring this totally brand new experience to Complex Land. We could move around, we had the characters in there, we gave away NFTs, we gave away pizza. And so just had this chance to like combine this really cool IP with this really um, traditional brand that wanted to tap into this space and create a whole, wholly unique experience. We're excited to win the brand Metaverse experience at the Drum Awards for Pizza End of the World Pizza. But ultimately it just gave us this really awesome canvas for creativity uh, inside of that space, building new connection uh, with the brand uh, in, inside of this uh, immersive world.
0: Um, you know, not that I want to get weepy, but, you know, I think about uh, in 2000, I think it was 15, when Samsung 837 opened, for anyone who hasn't been in New York, it's one of the best brand immersion spaces. But they hired us and our agency to create all of the, uh, the visuals on their the, at the time, I think the world's largest video wall, the sphere would be a little bit Still bigger there. these days. Yeah. And I actually wrote about this in our most influential articles this year because one of the people I reached out to back in 2015 was Rafik Anadol who ended up turning me down to do the work um, <laughs> because he was just too busy. But gotta uh, shoot your shot, Sam. <laughs> gotta shoot it. And we worked with a lot of amazing creative code artists that are actually all over the NFT space as well as in, in the creative worlds. But I, I mean, I remember that a lot of those Samsung 837 events then were porting over to the land a few years later, which I thought was a really forward-thinking opportunity for immersion, because it also wasn't, you know, when you talk about Pizza Hut experience, that, that feels very gamified, whereas I think the, Sa- the Samsung 837, which was more content-focused, if I remember correctly, but also, yeah. like, I'm really interested in brands that aren't trying to let people collect coins in a Roblox, right, that are really thinking through how, how they, as a brand, can show up, that maybe divert from typical gamified experiences. I don't know if you have a perspective, but I think like the future of Game Engine as just a creative power tool to render these hyper-realistic experiences in all t- types of mediums feels like a future opportunity that that brands should be looking at who, who the talent like network is that can help bring that stuff to life. I don't know if you agree with that.
2: Yeah, I mean, very much so. We, we've spent probably the first, what is it, 20-plus years on the internet in 2D. And everything went up up and down, left and right, forward and backwards. Mm. Um, And now that we've unlocked, you know, broadband, ultra-wideband 5G, this incredible connectivity that we have, and then the data that's being provided to us in real time, bringing that into a game engine gives you literally that third dimension to work with data, to work with creative, and to work with, with code to create immersive experiences, and 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 again, it's it's all about uh, the consumer first, right? It's your experience, it's your POV, it's your view into this brand universe and brand world, and then how can the brand kind of move you along, quest you into um, things that you're really interested in? I think this is where really the 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 meeting point of, of AI and machine learning are going to meet immersive virtual worlds and where we can understand something about you. What do you bring to the table? What data do you bring to this immersive experience? Or what's your inventory? What's your, mm. What are your digital collectibles? What, what, what's in your wallet? <laughs> mm. Essentially, you could bring that to these immersive experiences and then really customize it to you. I'm very excited about that as the future of experience powered by game engines.
0: Mm. Yeah, agreed. All right. I don't want to not talk with you about your blockchain journey uh as well um and i think you know one just the early work that you were doing uh, with your podcast with spotty and the team like like the CryptoPunks world where you know it sounds like you you bought in earlier than a lot of people did to to it i'm wondering not about your personal nft collecting strategy or crypto acquisition strategy i'm i'm interested in why brands should be caring about this technology what do NFTs unlock? How does a wallet change the first-party data structures? Like the digital collectibles, which you just mentioned, I think is such a big area still that we've only scratched the surface on. So if you were like in the room with Brand X and you're telling them that, hey, I understand we just came out of a bear market and people are still a little skeptical. What are you telling them to not be skeptical?
2: Yeah, w- what not to be skeptical on? Um, Well, one, we very nicely educate brands we work with that change is inevitable. And that if you sit, you're already behind. Um, They don't need to hear that from our chorus. They hear it all over the place, right? Including on podcasts. So this is kind of known. But that inherent nature of, of constant change is what we really educate them on. And it's where to focus and where not to focus. And right now you know focusing on for us web 3 and and when we express web 3 to our clients in terms of consumer experience it's the orchestration of xr technologies ai and blockchain technologies all together so really the third iteration of the web um inclusive of blockchain we're we're not we're not sweeping that away um when you really put those together, you've got a major fundamental shift in how we utilize technology and to power consumer experiences. So where we consult with them now is that you should think about these today as premium experiences for your most engaged and most brand loyal. And if you're, if you're trying to utilize Web3 to reach all of your consumers, you're gonna compromise where you're able to, to focus on. And you're really gonna miss out from orchestrating it one to many, many, versus one to the few that are most loyal. That's why this feels like the age of loyalty because you have to architect these programs engineered for your most loyal or to find out who your most loyal um, customers are, right? Maybe you wanna find that out. So I think you should think about these as premium experiences. Think about them as uncovering who your most loyal customers are and then tuning those experiences in to what they need. And with NFTs very specifically, um, this is going to be an incredible tool for marketers to move beyond the cookie. You can distribute these really in, in any medium, in any channel. They can be connected, central. it's really centralized to you and your marketing, and then utilized across your total brand experience. So while there's this focus on loyalty and loyalty capabilities today, and there's incredible companies powering that loyalty experience or uh, you know the on-chain loyalty experience it's one part of the total brand experience where you can get deeper insights into what your consumers do right in store how do they move from in-store to online these are things that were disconnected with cookies we really never were able to stitch those together as marketers it took a lot of effort to do that and to connect the dots but as we move into the next age and and where we're evolving blockchain technology, smart contracts, tokens, this is where we can help brands evolve their total brand experience and connect with consumers in in new ways that are pretty exciting.
0: And do you think that the logical path for that is the fact that you have digital assets and digital behaviors and that you can then marry them with digital worlds, right? Um, And so, you know, I think a lot about when I was cutting my teeth in the experiential business, one of the key metrics we had was dwell time, right? Whether it's at a trade show booth or it's at an event we were popping up, we can say, hey, this person was there for two hours and there were technologies that we had that could help measure that and this and that. And and that always compared to a 30 second spot or going across a banner on a page always resonated. Um, And even on our show last week, Avery was predicting even more brand experience as part of the 2024 uh, marketing strategy. And for me, to me, that's both IRL and it's digital. And what those experiences look like. And so, to, you know, is that the opportunity to say that the ability to have your inventory, as you call it, which I think is the perfect word, that really travels with you world to world. And that could be utilizing token proof at an event live, or that can be going into Roblox. And that same asset can unlock new things for you as a brand loyalist. You know, I think that's yeah. so, so exciting if you're a marketer. Sure.
2: So exciting as a marketer, it was the light bulb moment for me as I really started to explore this space. And and I'm, I'm excited to see this grow and proliferate. And I think we'll see in 2024 more expansive brand experiences, more digital, physical, hybrid experiences, more connected experiences, where if you do something in the real world, it pays off in the virtual world, or you can claim it, you can move between both worlds and seamlessly with a brand, I would love to see that proliferate where we're really connecting experiences and then start to add, layer in utility on mm. top of these and really let you feel like a VIP right inside of a brand ecosystem. If you are a VIP or if you're new to the space, feel like you're onboarding intelligently. Sam, I, I'm a huge fan mm. of immersive content, spatial computing. I'm passionate about that space, but and I'm excited to see where that goes because the 13-minute brand experience is really exciting to me. We've nailed the six-second ad. Yeah, so good at it. <laughs> We've nailed the retail experience in person, right? And this is highly optimized and the, the pathings and, and everything and, and, and how we move you through retail and even now with retail media networks, how we can connect you to and help you discover that's a big gap in the middle that has a lot of opportunity. And I think two things will fill that gap. One is the immersive digital experience, right? And we, we see that coming in a sweet spot around brand engagement around 13 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. You wanna spend more time than you can on just that e-commerce transactional, but you wanna go deeper into something that's maybe a more premium brand experience. There's also another area, which is the zero minute. <laughs> and the zero minute experience is powered by AI. And that's where this is, where your experiences, you, the products you are interested in, the products you actually purchase are, are now going to be purchased for you, secured for you, automated. Mm-hmm. Zero minutes. I actually didn't choose to buy that. My personal assistant AI made the decision for me. And we'll, that'll be maybe a few things at the jump, right? Milk, milk bread, eggs. Sure, buy that for me. In an automated way, I'll hand that over to an AI. We'll keep expanding that zero minute really transaction mm-hmm. um, as AI proliferates, brand agents start to, to uh, become more accessible.
0: I love that as a concept. And I also think that probably freaks a lot of people out, right? <laughs> but I do think that, that collectible behaviors you know, are one where if someone says, oh, I want every new air force one that ever comes out in green or that ever comes out as this part of a collaboration that's in a size eight and a half just auto buy it for me and it just gets sent and oh look i have a new pair of uh, kicks for my collection i see that as a behavior that fits really well into again the not not even people of my age but you know my nephew's age right who like is so brand loyal to the the things he's in love with that he would love to not even have to think about it. Just show up with the like latest drip, right? Like it's like, to me, it makes a lot of sense, but I also think the fact that we have clothing and food that has chips in it, the fact that you could say, Oh, look, this is about to expire. Let me just make sure there's another one tomorrow morning for you is also a really smart way of thinking about this.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the sort of like experience OS that goes around, the products, right, yep. <clears throat> is also going to be incredibly important. So, yes, we can market to you, we can advertise you, we can make you aware of the products, but the experience that surrounds them is going to be incredibly important as well. Um, and, and, and how that proliferates, I'm also excited to see, um, you know, products becoming essentially entities that, in and of themselves.
0: I mean, every PR agent in the world would love to hear this, these words. And I think, I mean, finally on that, I was thinking about this. I had to change a flight the other day. And, and I am that person who had to take an additional flight to hit my Delta status where I wanted to be. And I had one more flight. End
2: of the year. <laughs> end of the year. It, so right? on the
0: yeah. 28th, I got on a plane in December to, and to do this. And I, but I had to change it. And I do think about the fact that when I call the mm-hmm. contact us number, it says, oh, hey Sam, we see you're flying here. Do you need help with this flight? As like that's the automated response. And that's the literally the most basic decision tree technology to be able to utilize. Once you put a, you know, an AI agent that actually has a history and knows enough about me to be like, oh, I noticed by the way on that flight, you're in an aisle seat, but you love the window. We just auto switch that for you. You know, like those kinds of things. Like it it is to me about brand love and that emotional connection more than anything, which seems to be like the next, like part of web three is, is emotional for me of that is just an unlock and an opportunity that we are going towards. That it sounds like from what you're saying also that, that AI will hypercharge because it's not about modifying my in real life relationships with people I love and I, people I respect and people want to talk to. It's about dealing with all the stuff I don't want to deal with that. Like that it can just be done on my behalf.
2: Yeah. And, and, now we're going to, supposedly we're getting all this free time back, Sam. I'm very excited.
0: <laughs> I need sleep, I, Keith. Just, <laughs> so what are you going to do with this free time? Final question. The, the AIs give you four more hours a week. What are you doing with that
2: four hours? I'm embarrassed to say I'm just going to be <laughs> digging into more technology. And, and, and look, I, I go, uh, uh, you know, to answer that question more seriously, I guess, Sam. I'm a hands-on uh, type of person. I like to get my hands into the technology, utilize it, um, try it out, figure out what I can for myself, and then tap into the experts with with that sense mm-hmm. of of understanding. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to having more more free time to explore. Um, it's something that I crave. I can't go too long without being creative and and, and creating. And I mm-hmm. hope I have more time for that. Thanks, AI. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amazing. And and just so to set some context for anyone who's listening and not watching any of this on video behind me, I just have a giant tray of alcohol and behind Keith is collectible sneakers art, you know, wonderful objects. that probably are very meaningful to him. So I have a feeling you're going to also be, be a little bit more of a consumer if you have that time.
2: I like to call up my wallet on the wall. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Fantastic. Uh, Keith. Thank you for spending so much time uh, with us. Uh, really I've loved everything that you and the team at Polisys has been doing. Uh, looking forward to like more conversations at different events and, and various opportunities for us uh, to talk with you and your clients. But just really want to thank you for spending the time with us.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Sam. It was a great time.
0: All right. Talk to you soon. My final thoughts on talking with Keith. Uh, one is I think we should not pay attention to all of the bearish sentiment of 2023. I think that he and the team at Publicis and you know Publicis probably counts thousand different clients across their agency network, are actively looking at how to utilize emerging technology for the future of communication. I also think that um, the thing that I took away most from that conversation is just how much we are starting to see the convergence of all these different mixed realities. And those are digital realities of asset ownership, of point systems and loyalty, which I really loved his, his point about that, combined with Game engine powered worlds shopping, which I'm a big fan of and how that experience is going to change XR um, and sort of augmented experiences and data and that brands just need to be aggressive on how they're experimenting in this. Um, I didn't get to ask him, which was one of my questions, the idea of is the chief marketing officer also becoming the chief innovation officer, but that's something that's been sort of bopping around in my head. Um, because I think that the future of marketing is less, you know, banners on pages and more experiences and direct connection through digital assets and stuff. So anyway, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Wen, for stepping in on the intro. And we will see you next week. Thanks, Z.: One,
1: two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator.